This podcast is made possible by listener support on Patreon. If you would like to support the podcast, please visit patreon.com slash Sam Reed's Near-Death Experiences. Why should I be frightened of dying? You know reason for it. You better go sometimes. Hello, welcome to the Sam Reed's Near-Death Experiences podcast. Uh, We've got a pretty interesting story to read today, and I'm excited to share it with you all. Um, I'm recording this podcast with a heavy heart today because uh, my granddad just passed away. And uh, it just makes me think that it's, you know, no matter the amount of... uh, times we talk about it and and reading these stories and stuff um, death is something that's always hard to deal with it's not um it's never you know something that's not going to have a sting um dealing with a loss is is painful and uh, heartbreaking um and it always will be and but uh, i hope that by talking about you know near-death experiences and other things that it's it's uh somewhat comforting even even just slightly um because a loss and uh and losing someone you love very dearly um is is always difficult so um so this uh this story today is coming to us from denmark um, this is, uh, by a woman named Annie and, uh, she was having some procedure done and, um, I guess the doctor did something he wasn't supposed to and she had this, uh, quite exceptional near-death experience and, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, this was translated from Danish, um, so there are some phrases and words that, uh, are, um, a little bit different. For instance, she she mentions meth drinkers, which I believe probably refers to just meth users or, or people who who use uh methamphetamines. So um, there are a couple translational things peppered throughout, but it's it's really a a cool story, and she uh, gains a lot of wisdom, a lot of insights um, from her experience. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to being able to talk about it with you all. Um, so this occurred in, uh, 1974, so this is from a ways back, but, um, Annie's had a lot of time to reflect on it and, and learn its lessons, and, uh, she talks about how, uh, without this experience, uh, this, the spiritual experience that she had, her life, uh, and her pain, um, would have been unendurable. Um, so it's really powerful and really moving um, and really a, a privilege to get to read this. Um, so uh, without any further ado, we'll just get right into it. Uh, this is Annie's near-death experience. I had my near-death experience in the summer of 1974 when I was 30 years old. I had a serious headache and was going to the hospital to see if I had a brain tumor. 
I was to be hospitalized for a couple of days. During the examination, one of the doctors inserted a needle into the back of my neck to blow air in. The needle hit my central nervous system by accident, causing my pulse to become abnormal. At that point, the doctor should have stopped his treatment, but he proceeded. He hit a wrong place again. Established protocol said that he was only allowed to insert a needle twice, but he did it five times. The result was that my central nervous system was hit several times and was damaged. I was mostly unconscious for a month. I don't remember anything from that month except my near-death experience. The first thing I experienced was that I could suddenly see my body from above. I saw that the doctors were incredibly busy treating me, but I didn't understand. I felt wonderful and light where I was. I had no pain and no problems. This was evidence to me that the soul can leave the body. I clearly remember that I hovered over the doctor who conducted the treatment. He had gone home after work and was lying in his bed. I went into his home and saw him. I could see that he had nervous tics, and I knew telepathically that he was thinking of me. I felt so sorry for him, and I thought, I wish I could straighten all his nervous tics, because I feel gorgeous. I saw that he went to the toilet several times. I remember that he had problems with urination. While I was there, I noticed the arrangement of his home and the furniture around him. Later, when I recovered, I told the doctor about my visit. I told him about the arrangement of his home and the furniture. I told him of his urination problem. He was stunned because all that I said was true. Later, when I recovered further, I visited him. I saw that everything was as I had experienced it. At one point, I asked if I could use his toilet. He rose in order to show me where it was. I told him that he didn't have to show me, because I had been there before in an out-of-body state. Back to the experience. After hovering around the earth, I went through a tunnel. At the end of the tunnel, there was a light so indescribably strong. It was nothing like an earthly light. I went to a peaceful place. It was so beautiful that I thought, the earth is like a film that hasn't been developed. Not until we reach the other side is the film developed. Everything will be seen in beautiful colors that don't exist here on earth. I saw a beautiful meadow. There were flowers and colors that were so fantastic that our earthly brain can't comprehend it. The colors we have here on earth are very pale in comparison to the colors I experienced in the spiritual realm. The people we claim are dead stood completely alive in front of me, but they looked younger than I experienced them on earth. At the same time, there was a kind of fog over their faces, but I knew it was them. I wanted to approach them, but I heard telepathically that it was not the right time, and then I was pulled back. Afterwards, I had various spiritual experiences. They were correlated to one another. It was like a movie shown in clips. During one of the clips, I saw a portal that was like an arch. I felt that it was the arch of life. It wasn't ostentatious, but it was very simple. The arch opened so that I could look in. There I saw the whole meaning of life. 
I thought it was so simple that I couldn't understand why I hadn't thought of it. It was so simple that even a child could understand it. Unfortunately, I forgot it, but I do know there is a meaning of life. I flew on. Then I was shown various clips from past lives. I had never before related to reincarnation. I had grown up in a family of non-believers, but I always felt Jesus in my heart. I saw that I had a life as an Indian. I was so strong and powerful. I experienced the whole Indian life and I sensed that I was a man. I lived in harmony with nature and it felt like a wonderful life. Later in that life, I was at war with others. I experienced falling into a hole where there were some dead people, but I was not dead. There was a nauseous and extremely noxious smell where I was lying. Then things shifted to a new clip. I flew over a figure of Christ standing with open arms. Then I experienced another life. I lived in a hut constructed on poles. There was no furniture, but there were mats on the floor. We were six very beautiful and young girls. It was a wonderful time. We were there to please men, but it was all nice and decent. We were in harmony with nature. Then there was another clip. I saw that I lived in France within the aristocracy. I was very arrogant and definitely not a person I like. I was a big girl with a fine white dress. I stood with my family and was about to be executed. Around us were a lot of dirty, gross people. They mocked us and spit on us. I thought, mob, mob. Then there was a clip. I must have been beheaded. I saw the mob walking with a wooden vessel, flushing away the blood and dirt. Then there was another clip. It was all silent and peaceful. I saw the sun. That life was a terrible experience. After that, a loving being who was standing behind my left shoulder showed me my current life. The love was so strong that I dared not turn around, but I think it was Jesus. I was shown my life from birth to unconsciousness. I saw myself on the wrong side. I was not as good as I thought I was and was ashamed of myself. But the being of love didn't judge me. He just supported me and gave me love. I saw not only the actions I had done, but also the thoughts I had sent out. And the thoughts meant more than the actions. That surprised me. I hadn't thought it would be like that. It was scary. It's very good to do good deeds towards others, but the feelings and thoughts you send them count more. For instance, it is bad to smile politely at someone while sending negative thoughts to them. As you sow, you shall reap. I found out there was too little for me to reap. I guess that was why I wanted to go down and finish my earthly life. There was so much that I had to do. I had to improve as a human being. I had to go down to sow in order to reap. I hadn't sowed much until then. I could see that. I was really ashamed of seeing myself. First and foremost, I had to sow love. Today it is the most important commandment to me. I was also shown the good things I had done. In my childhood, 
there was in the vicinity of my home a path where meth drinkers gathered. When I was walking with my dog, as I was about to pass them, instead I sat down and talked with them. They were surprised that I wanted to be with them. I told them that there was someone who loved them and that it was Jesus. I knew that Jesus loved these meth drinkers and I felt they gave me so much love. They loved me for the person I was. I began going to their homes with them and I cleaned for them. They lived in a little wooden hut in the moor. I picked flowers so their hut could be cozy and I loved being of service. I enjoyed being together with these people. All this I was now shown again, and it counted as one of the good deeds I had done. In connection with my life review, I saw an episode from my childhood when I was 10 or 11 years old. This episode was the cause of a deep psychic wound stemming from a father complex. In my childhood, I did everything to please my father. Before my near-death experience, I never understood why he suddenly distanced himself from me. But when I saw my life review, I understood. I saw a girl who was me. We were going to my paternal grandfather's birthday party. Spontaneously, I said, I don't want to go because grandpa is going to die. My father was terror-stricken. I got a slap in the face, the only one in my life. Yet I still didn't want to go. I told my father that I had a headache, so I was allowed to stay home. At 9.50 p.m., the clock in the living room stopped. I said, well now grandpa is dying. I couldn't sleep despite going to bed. At 1.30 a.m., my parents arrived. My father came into the room. He looked at me with strange eyes. Then he said, grandpa is dead. To me, it wasn't a dreadful or unnatural thing, for I knew that Grandpa was going to die. But my father was shocked. From that time on, it felt like he was afraid of me, so he distanced himself. I developed some emotional blocking. I did everything to please him. I didn't know what had caused his distancing, but I found out when I saw my life review. When I was in the spiritual realm, I saw that I had to return to earth in order to finish many things. There was a loving being beside me. It wasn't anything visible, but I could sense it. It was a kind of spirit or soul. It showed me what I had to return to, my further course of life. But I have not retained that either. My first thought was, I can easily endure that. I was so strong because I had that loving being at my side. But slowly, the loving being disappeared. I was sent back through the same tunnel that I had come through earlier. I returned to the hospital room where my body lay. I was under the ceiling. I could see the doctors busily treating me. Now I was afraid. I resisted as I didn't feel like coming back to the body. I wanted to stay in the spiritual world, because there I was happy and felt fine. But I did come back, and that was really cruel, because it felt as if I was strapped into a straitjacket after I had been able to move freely. I felt terrible pain. I couldn't feel coldness, warmth, or anything. 
I only felt pain and had spasms. It felt as if I had split into two persons. On the one hand, I was in the body with all the pain. On the other hand, I had all the spiritual experiences that lived so vigorously in me. When I returned to the body, I obtained a new gift that I had to learn to relate to. I could sense and see what other people contained. It was as if I had clear-sightedness. I could go through them and experience their feelings and thoughts. I quickly sensed that the doctors at the hospital weren't honest with me. That frustrated me because at the time I believed in authorities. I believed what doctors said. But suddenly, I could see that they weren't telling the truth. I could see that they spoke out of their own egoism. Some doctors said that I was hysterical because I reacted to my pain. But I could see in their eyes that what they said in words didn't fit with their thoughts and feelings. And that frightened me. I am convinced that the spiritual experiences were given to me in order to help me through all the difficult years in connection with my disease. All the experiences and all the power that God gave me when I was unconscious is transmitted so strongly to my mind. This has helped me to endure all the terrible pain. I remember once I was hospitalized with a concussion after an epileptic seizure. The doctor was looking in my journal. Then he said aloud and mostly to himself, but how can you sit there? You should be dead. Then I told him that if I hadn't had a lot of spiritual experiences that had given me faith in Jesus Christ, I wouldn't be sitting here. That made him a little embarrassed and he hurried on reading the journal. I have never doubted that it was true what I experienced. After my disease, I wanted to be earthbound. I tried to use my logic and tell myself that it was hallucinations. But I couldn't do that and I still can't. When it is so clear in my memory after 44 years, it can't be hallucinations. My near-death experience has become the foundation of my life. After being unconscious, I have been through so much pain that I have thought of the loving being I met. I could fetch so much power from that memory that I could endure the pain. By thinking of the love being and my past lives, I could find the strength to live. The loving being is the strongest thing in my life. I can always draw on it. If it hadn't been there, I'm sure I wouldn't have endured being here on earth. When over the years, I have had such intense pain that I couldn't endure it, I asked for help. I have often experienced a reply that I felt something warm that embraced me like a cloak, and that gave me strength to go through the pain. God has helped me in my misfortune. He never left me. He has given me powers undreamt of to fight the physical and mental pain. Sometimes I felt the more intense the pain, the greater is God. God is almighty. God is so fantastically great. The near-death experience has made me feel that I don't belong here. I feel that I'm on a charter trip down here and that I belong to the spiritual world. I am grateful and happy for my family and my friends, and I live more intensely today than I did before. 
but I appreciate each year I get older, for then I know that I come closer to death and the spiritual world. We are all on such a charter trip on earth. Our true home is in the spiritual world with God. That is our point of origin. And we're all going back to our true home when we have fulfilled our tasks on the charter trip. When I had to go back to earth, I realized that there is a meaning of life on earth. Life is like schooling. It can be incredibly tough, but we must not forget that the more good things we can sow, the more we will reap when we leave from here. The school of life is like a trip on earth. There are certain things we have to do on the trip. When I returned to my body, I thought from this day forward, I was going to be oh so good. But it wasn't like that. I haven't become a much better person. I do many mistakes each day. But I have become aware of which thoughts I send out, and I know that love and positive thoughts is what means something here on earth. I've become aware of how important it is to be loving and to send loving thoughts, to be helpful, to be present, and to listen. The most important thing is not to strive unceasingly to get higher up on the so-called social ladder. We should not strive to win power, honor, and money. All those things don't mean anything when we are going to have our life review. The most important assignment in life is love. I learned to begin with myself and create warm, human, and loving vibrations. First, I unclutter my mind. It hurts so much from the hawthorns and dirt in my soul. After that, I can begin opening up to others and shining to others like the sun. If I can let the sun, the power of God, shine in me, then I will begin opening by virtue of the warmth that God gives me. And then I can give love. Then I can give something to everyone. Many people commit suicide in our time. I understand them. If I haven't had all the spiritual experiences that I've had, I think I would also have committed suicide. The spiritual experiences gave me strength to live on. I believe that the people who commit suicide will have a hard time at their transition to the spirit world. But we must not condemn them, for they are very unhappy people. God knows that. They simply haven't been able to endure life on earth, and God understands that. There are things we do not understand in our human form, and there are things that we are not supposed to understand. This is because our small brains cannot contain the greatness of God. Suiciders will absolutely not meet any condemnation on the other side. We wouldn't condemn our children if they committed suicide. If we condemn our children, we condemn quite a bit in ourselves. I don't condemn someone I love because I love out of unconditional love and not out of egoism. I love my children so much that I wouldn't condemn them, but help and support them. And God will do that too. Of that I am quite certain. God will help those poor souls get through all the difficult stuff. I don't believe there is an eternal damnation, because God is towards us like a good father is towards his children. If a child is unreasonable or does many terrible things, 
Will a good father disown that child and send it out in the cold? No, he won't. Our spiritual father will not do that to us either. God will not disown anybody. If there is a hell, then it is that we see of ourselves with all the negative thoughts that we have sent out. When we leave earth, we are going to judge ourselves. We will see ourselves with a clear-sightedness beyond compare. It was a very scary process for me. It won't be easy for the people who have taken their own lives to see their life review. For their roots are chaos. These people can't find out what is the cause of their problems. Unconsciously, they put a lid on their inner chaos because they can't endure facing it. But God will take care of their souls, and He will help them to be free. That is quite certain. My spiritual experiences have taught me that we must not condemn other people. We have no right at all to do that. When I saw how impure I was, I realized that we must not condemn other people, no matter who they are. It all comes back to us. If not in this life, then when we are going to review our lives. Nor should we tell other people how they should live their lives. We have no right to do that. But one of the best things we can do is to send them loving thoughts. We must not condemn other people when they do something wrong. They haven't experienced themselves as I did. Until I experienced myself on the wrong side, I was unaware of how I really was. Therefore, never judge your fellow human being, but try to understand. God is so great, and He really wants to contact us. But it's difficult for God to come through to us because we are egoistic and materialistic. We block Him in that way. It is not the intention of God that all the evil in the world, like war, is going to happen. It's caused by our human egoism and self-centeredness. We contain both good and evil. Our task is to see to it that evil doesn't prevail. We have a responsibility for our lives here on earth. We should stop striving to reach so much at the earthly level, because it is only a short while we are here. When I had my life review, it was as if life on earth only lasted a second. But we live as if we were going to be here for hundreds of years. Okay, so that was Annie's near-death experience. Um, I'll try and go through it. Uh, there's quite a bit in here. She she talks about a lot of different things and... Uh, uh, there's a lot to get through, so I'll do my best to kind of uh, go through her experience kind of bit by bit and see see what we can learn from it. So um, just to start off, I guess we can talk about some of the, uh, I guess, common features that this near-death experience uh, contains. Um, for instance, she talks about floating above her body, something you see in a lot of near-death experiences. There's a tunnel that she goes through. There's a bright light. Um, she even mentions a, a kind of uh, a corroboration of her story, which is always interesting to read, uh, that uh, she kind of, uh, uh, I guess, was able to, to 
see into her doctor and see into his life and see kind of what some of his issues are and, and go to his house and stuff, um, which was very interesting and then was able to uh, kind of gave the impression that uh, was able she was able to tell the doctor some things that she uh, otherwise might not know. And those things are always interesting. You know, sometimes in near-death experiences, you have people, uh, you know, mentioning things that the doctor said that they shouldn't have been able to hear. And, um, you know, those are interesting to hear. You can't really do a whole lot with them. They're just kind of cool little spooky, <laughs> spooky kind of things that what which suggests that they're, you know... Um, is something to this phenomena and and people like to cite those as as proof of it happening and uh absolutely for the patient and the doctor and whoever heard whatever happened that was corroborated by the person that is certainly um an aspect of uh what you might be able to consider proof or evidence that this near-death experience uh phenomenon is is really happening uh i've heard of some cool kind of tests of like um, actual researchers, scientists trying to put uh, a like, I don't know, like kind of hidden uh, hidden signs and stuff up in, in the corners of hospital rooms, um, little things that a normal patient wouldn't see, um, and then trying to gather data based on that, uh, whether... A patient who claims to have had a near-death experience is able to corroborate uh, some little sign or something up in the corner behind a shelf that uh, presumably if you were floating above your body, you might be able to see and otherwise you wouldn't. Um, so that stuff's always really cool. Um, and and this, uh, to some degree, uh, occurred in, in Annie's near-death experience, which was, was interesting to read about. Um, uh, she mentions uh, that uh, talks about the beautiful colors that existed in this afterlife realm that don't um, exist here on Earth. That's something that you you hear quite a bit. That uh, sounds, colors, senses are uh, magnified in in uh, a near death experience more so than than what they would be here on Earth. Um, she also mentioned seeing dead people that are young and alive and and uh, happy and healthy. Um, and then she she talks about going into there's a kind of a transition after seeing uh, the dead to where she's uh, I guess going into a movie like kind of uh, review of her past lives I suppose and it talks about all these different past lives that she was in being. Uh, a man and being a girl and all these different kind of scenarios that she was in and and what they felt like. Um, and she mentions that she understood the meaning of life, um, something so incomprehensibly simple that even a child could understand. And she says that there is a meaning of life, but uh, it's, I guess, so simple and so complex at the same time that she was not able to bring it back in any um, kind of form. And that's that's something that you see every now and then um, when people are kind of imparted wisdom and 
told the secrets of the universe and things like that. They often describe them as being so simple yet um, kind of impossible to put into words, which is always really interesting. Um, so she sees all her past lives, um, even though she, you know she doesn't. Uh, I think she mentions that she wasn't really raised in a particularly religious family. I think she says that she believed in Jesus, kind of, but wasn't raised religiously, um, which I would assume includes not having a belief in reincarnation. So um, that is an interesting feature of this near-death experience, that she's kind of taken through past lives, even though she's not uh, Hindu, Buddhist, any particular religion that would um, have that doctrine, have that belief. Um, uh, one thing I thought was pretty interesting, um, which we, we'll get into a little more here towards the end, uh, she she mentions a a loving being that is standing behind her. Um, she believes it's Jesus, but it's kind of unclear. But it's kind of this force, this being that is behind her that she. Uh, does not look at for one reason or another. And I, I thought that was very interesting because she kind of talks about this whole experience as being unconscious, um, being in the unconscious. And I don't know if that's a uh, particular feature of of maybe this being translated from Danish that she kind of mul- uh, uh, refers to this experience multiple times, not necessarily as an NDE, but as being unconscious. Um, and so I thought that that kind of uh, image of a being standing behind her is was interesting because that's uh, something you, you see in dreams sometimes in, in a dream interpretation, the idea of something that's behind you that you can't see or being behind something is representing your unconscious mind or your unconscious unconscious soul or psyche. So I thought that was interesting that that was this loving being, this, um, uh, I, I don't even know how you would characterize it. Um, she characterizes that is she characterizes it as Jesus, um, which is interesting. Um, and then she goes through her her current life review, um, which she she emphasizes that, and this is something I thought was interesting. She emphasizes that it is not just our actions that are important, but also our thoughts. And she she seems to um, emphasize that our thoughts are more important than our actions. Which is interesting because I've seen this kind of echoed, echoed in other near-death experiences before, and other kind of uh, spiritual type of readings that I've, I've done before. That our thoughts, in a way, have more impact on the world than our actions. Which is kind of crazy to think about because sometimes it <laughs> doesn't really feel like you can control your thoughts. Sometimes you can be thinking of something, but sometimes a thought just comes to you. And that might be something that 
you'd have to dive into philosophy and theory of mind and stuff like that to really get into. But um, I thought that was interesting because it doesn't seem that we always have full agency over the thoughts that come into our head. So I don't know if it's a free will determinism type of thing, um, one versus the other, but I thought that was very thought-provoking, <laughs> so, ironically. Um, because, you know, we we have tons of thoughts throughout the day, and and who knows what effect those thoughts are actually having if uh, what Annie says is... Uh, has some has some truth to it. So thought that was cool. Um, she also um, kind of talked about the ancient uh, golden rule: as you as you reap, you sow, you shall sow. I can never say that. As you reap, you you shall sow, or you you reap what you sow. So um, that's just the golden rule kind of this karmic thing of whatever, you know, you put out into the world comes back to you in a way. Um, so interesting that that very ancient uh, kind of religious wisdom from across cultures is is being, um, uh, you know, imparted to her in this way. Um, now, one thing that I, I really liked about this near-death experience is it, it was very psychological and uh, almost uh, it almost kind of seemed like this near-death experience uh, had aspects of it that were like I, I don't know psychotherapy she has this incident where she mentions that she had a father complex she had a um, a kind of maladaptive emotional complex about her father where she was always trying to please her father um, because her father was distant from her and she didn't know why her father was distant from her um, and I suppose if you if you were to go into psychoanalysis or something for that issue um, the psychologist would go through, uh, I don't know, a bunch of different methods depending on what kind of psychologist you went to see to try and uncover why this weird kind of emotional complex that's negatively affecting your life, uh, why that happened. Um, what, what brought that into being? What was the event? What was uh, the trauma um, that caused whatever is interrupting your healthy life. Um, so what happened with her father that that she has this trying to please him so much and, and him, him not, um, I don't know, uh, not giving the correct, I don't know, response to whatever she's, she's trying to give him, all the love she's trying to give him. Um, and, and so through this near-death experience, she... It was revealed to her, she understood that this whole father thing, father situation, father complex that she had was due to uh, a particular event that occurred when she was very young. Um, and this is kind of a, a synchronicity, a precognition, a, a seeing the future type of thing where um, I guess it was her, uh, they were going to a party for her uh, grandfather and... 
Uh, she said she didn't want to go because her grandfather was going to die. And this really upset her father. Um, and, and so she kind of faked an illness and stayed home. And then the grandfather died and the uh, father came home and told her and she said she already knew that. And so after that, her father was apparently kind of spooked out by that or didn't know how to, what to make of that, you know, didn't, wasn't able to integrate whatever that kind of weird and frankly kind of spooky, uh, you know, encounter with his daughter. And I guess he had distanced himself. And as a result of that distancing, um, Annie tried to overcompensate, I, I would I guess you could say, by by trying to please her father. Um, so what's interesting is that this kind of shows that a life review can dust off these, um, these uh, events and actions that deeply affect us that we might have lost, that we, we didn't know had happened. You know, we are the sum of our experiences and um, sometimes those those memories get lost of why we are a certain way, why we do certain things. And if those, whatever those pat- patterns are, if they become, you know, uh, if they negatively affect how you're going about your life, uh, cause you to have some unhealthy habits, um, it's important to get back to the root of that experience and to be able to make sense of it, to integrate it, to uh, to bring it to light. And so I thought that was very interesting how she talked about that. And um, that that seems to suggest that the goal of, of these, li- well, an aspect of these life reviews as well as uh, it, an aspect of these life reviews might coincide with one of the goals of psychoanalysis, which is the growth of consciousness, the understanding of your life, of your experiences, um, bringing your whole life into consciousness, um, becoming whole or gaining a totality of your experience, which I thought was very interesting. Um, and and she kind of, there are some other psychological as- aspects that she alludes to. It's like when she was going back into her body, she, she kind of talked about how one half of her, it's, it's kind of like she had a split personality or something when she was first going back into her body where one half of her was on the spiritual side um, with that that loving being and the love and and that feeling where the other side of her was in the physical body experiencing all the pain, um, really having a hard time. Um, and so and she after she comes back, she kind of, talks about various things that she's learned from her experience and how it's helped her throughout her life. She, uh, she talks about how 
Um, she kind of views our earthly existence as kind of like a, a field trip or a charter trip, um, that we're just here for a time, like we're on a trip, and then, you know, we go back home to this spiritual realm. Um, and, you know, I that's something that I I resonate with. At the same time, I think there's a danger with some some of the ideas of near death experiences that uh that this earthly world doesn't matter um i think that's kind of a danger of this idea of oh we're just here for a trip and then we go home to this um you know spiritual home of heaven afterlife whatever you want to call it i i think that's it's a very um positive idea but it can have these negative aspects of um if you take it too far you can kind of check out on this life and not be involved in in whatever goes on um here on earth in the, this physical life which is probably uh not optimal um so i think it's important to keep it balanced that while uh if what annie says is has truth to it, which I've seen this idea expressed in many other near-death experiences, that this is kind of just like a a temporary thing, which of course it is, but um, I don't think that uh, necessarily entails that we shouldn't take a life seriously to some degree, that what we do here doesn't matter. Um, so I think it's important to kind of balance that out. Um and she she talks about uh suicide and and people who commit suicide um and how we should not judge them we should not judge anybody um and she even says that you know this it's one of those things that um we're not really meant to understand that uh the human brain can't comprehend god in his entirety and so um, we should not judge others for their actions because we ourselves don't fully understand our, our actions. And that's something that really uh, uh, really resonated with me because I, it seems like we are very unconscious of what we do, that we, we tend to be on autopilot. And um, I think part of the goal that is kind of um, woven into this near-death experience and and other things that I've read is that you want to be able to become fully conscious of what you do, of what your actions are. Um, it's, it's kind of like becoming fully uh, who you are. Um, I, uh, the kind of image that comes to mind when, when I think about this is, is like a, a child who is told what's right and what's wrong, um, by his or her parents. And the child will try to do the good thing, try to do what's right. Um, but the child really doesn't understand why what they're doing is right or wrong. Um, and I think 
the goal for us is to try. Uh, we we have all these rules and and morals and stuff, and and our goal should be to try to understand fully, become conscious of why each action we do is either right or wrong for a given situation. And of course, context is very important in that. But um, that seems to tie in with what she's she's saying about not judging others because um, we ourselves are not um, fully conscious of our own actions, um, which I found very, very uh, profound. Um, and, and that kind of goes along with the idea of karma, that, you know, a, a person has to work through whatever karma that they're whatever they're supposed to do, whatever their actions are. They, um, we make mistakes and we do bad things and those have to happen in order for us to grow. And that's often very painful, not only for other people, but for ourselves. Um, and so Annie is, is saying that we need to be compassionate and be merciful to others um, who are working through whatever they have to do. And that involves usually making a lot of mistakes and hurting people. Um, and she talks about, you know, suicide as, as people who are going to have a hard time with a, a transition to a, another, the afterlife realm. Um, and that's, you know, that's, I've read uh, several near-death experiences of of people who have committed suicide, and, and some of them are not pleasant. That's not to say all of them, um, but that's definitely an aspect you tend to see more in the cases of suicide than more random kind of near-death experiences that sometimes the suicide NDEs are a little more on the unpleasant side. Um, so, but she, she talks about how God... Uh, in in her experience was is a a loving father who um wants the best for all of us including the people who uh commit suicide and do bad things and and she talks about the the sense she she got was that um hell hell is just is not necessarily a, a place or a um i don't know a well, I guess a place is probably the best way to put it, but she she says hell is, is more just the um, feeling the negative consequences of your actions, which is something that I've I've heard in other near death experiences before as well. So so I found that whole discussion that she went through afterwards very interesting and and kind of tying in with that idea of our goal is is the growth of consciousness. Now we have our each have our own karma, our own actions, um, but we will be confronted with those actions and the unintended or unconscious consequences of whatever we end up doing. And the goal of all our actions, both good and bad, should be to um, should be to gain consciousness of them to grow our consciousness and to integrate them and understand them and um, fully become 
who we are, who we all we could be in a way. And there are some ideas that that come out of near-death experiences that um, the goal of this um, earthly existence, this field trip, this charter trip, as Annie puts it, is uh, kind of like school, um, or that our experiences um, are important for one reason or another, important to God. And that's, that's a question I've been thinking about a lot here lately is what of what use are we to God? How do we serve God? Why did God create man? And I know those are huge <laughs> questions that people have been thinking about for a long time, but um, one of the uh, answers that I saw um, when I was reading uh, a book by Jung was that man is useful to God for our consciousness, that um, uh, God as a being of infinite size and uh, um, so vast and eternal that you couldn't say one thing about God that the opposite wouldn't also be true, having a very limited consciousness consciousness um, in man and all our experiences of both good and bad is, uh, I guess, of use to God to um, either understand himself, explore the meaning, meaning of what it means to exist, of, of being itself, to um, become conscious. And, and the more conscious we become, uh, the more conscious God becomes, which is a fascinating idea, and I don't, you know, probably need the rest of my life to to think about that. But um, I find that very profound. Um, and so we're kind of getting to the end of her experience. Um, one thing that Annie mentions is that uh, God wants to reach us. God wants to reach through us, but. I guess he is blocked by our egoism and our materialism, which I thought was interesting because I kind of I understand how that's the case, but at the same time I I also think that our egoism and materialism have been important in their own ways that we've kind of liberated ourselves from um uh, I don't know about nature, but um, a vast majority of people are much more well-off today than they were, you know, in the past. Um, And that's overall a good thing. And as materialism continues, um, you know, we will hopefully continue to give people a a better standard of living. But I I totally get Annie's point that after a certain point... um, a certain threshold of where your material needs are met, um, that that um, we are missing the spiritual side of things, the divine um, uh, having a place in the world, that it doesn't matter how many more cars you get or how many yachts you have or if you have the new iPhone or not, you know, um, the meaning in our lives comes from the divine, the spiritual, our dreams um, from God. So I, I found that very, 
very interesting. Um, and it kind of expresses this other idea that I've kind of was talking about before that um, our growth of consciousness, the growth of our ego, um, and the growth of our our material comfort and well-being are kind of a, a necessary evil in a way um, on the path of development. Because like I said before, we I don't think... Um, we we are meant to be children doing what we're told. Um, it seems to me, and I'll, this is something, of course, that I, well, none of this stuff is really provable in in the scientific sense. But um, these are very kind of um, diffuse and philosophical ideas. But uh, it seems to me that. Uh, we are meant to be a partner for God and not, um, uh, you know, children doing what we're told. We're not, I don't think that God intends us to be action figures that he plays with. And and uh, I think we're meant to gain our own agency to where we can be of greater service to God, if that makes sense. And um, uh, it, it's kind of like the, the name Israel um, from the Bible means to wrestle with God. Um, and I think that that definitely goes in line with the idea of of being a partner, of being um, uh, being beings that can um, be of service uh, to the divine and to participate in creation here on earth through our actions and by making those actions conscious hopefully we can create a better world than the one we have so um i think i'll end there thank you so much for listening i hope um you found this uh enjoyable thought-provoking um i i definitely love this near-death near-death experience i think any um, had a quite exceptional one, and um, I'm very grateful to her for sharing it. Um, so if you would like to uh, reach out to me, you may do so at samreadsneardeathexperiences at gmail.com. Check out our Facebook page. Uh, I have some near-death experiences up on YouTube. I'll try and get some more up. Um, and if you want to follow me along in my daily life, you can do so on on Instagram, my name is the Timberline, and uh, please leave a uh, a five star rating on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use, because that really helps out the show and gets it out to other people. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for listening, and um, I think we will now finish off on a a quote about death. And this uh, quote on death is coming from one of my favorite poets, um, Rumi, who was a Sufi mystic and poet. Um, I'm actually not sure uh, which uh, book or poem this quote is coming from. I just kind of found it on the internet, so I hope it's real and <laughs> not made up. Um, but I really liked it. Uh, so I will read it, and I hope you like it too. Goodbyes are only for those who love with their eyes, because for those who love with their heart and soul, 
there is no such thing as separation.